0: I'm going to have you uh, stand. We're going to go to the Lord in prayer, and we're going to pray. Uh, I'm excited this morning. I'm going to tell you why I'm so excited. Not only is it Thanksgiving. I always love Thanksgiving. But I'm excited because uh, for, you know, probably over 30 years now, I've been praying with men before the service. This morning, we probably had one of the most exciting times of prayer. It was amazing. You say, what happened? I shared a little bit of what I'm going to share with you, And we entered into a time of worship and praise to God, and the Spirit of God came down. And I said to them, this has been my prayer for all of us. So I'm going to have you join me. We're going to ask God to do something today. We're going to go into his presence right now. We're going to touch the heart of God. Why? Because I want God to touch every one of us. I believe God wants to have a transaction with us. I believe God wants to touch you. I I believe that God wants to connect with you. And that when you leave this place today that you have met and encountered the true and the living God. And something happens when you meet God, folks. You just do not remain the same. How many say, I think I can agree with you. I'd I love to have an encounter with God this morning. Anybody here, you know, we're, we're attending church. A lot of times we can go through church, but I want to connect with God this morning. I want to encounter God this morning. I want to be transformed by God's spirit because of that encounter. How many say, that's my prayer? I'd I love for that to happen. Let's pray and agree for that. So Lord, that's our cry this morning. We're not just attending church this morning. We're here to encounter you, the true and the living God. And I pray that your Holy Spirit right now would, open up the eyes of our understanding, that you would give us the spirit of revelation and knowledge so that we might get to know you better. Father, that we might experience your presence in our lives, not just in this moment, but Father, even as we were in agreement this morning, we were praying that the spirit and, uh, and the garment of praise would replace the spirit of heaviness that so often infiltrates our souls. And I just pray that right now, that your divine presence would sweep over us. We would connect with you as we're focusing our hearts and minds on you. Lord, deliver us from the focus of our inabilities, our liabilities, our human struggles, our troubles, our problems. I pray right now, we're gonna lay them at your feet. Right now, Father, our eyes are looking up to you. We're gonna get a vision of you this morning that will change us. And in that process, it will transform us, and we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, and God's people said, "Amen, amen and amen." You may be seated. Now, I know that many of you, many of you like cartoons, right? The funny pages, you know. And uh, one of my favorite cartoon writers is Charles Schultz. You know, he's the writer of Charlie Brown. anybody ever heard of Charlie Brown? Uh, Charlie Brown is a cute little guy, and uh, some of you may not know this, but Schultz was actually a Christian. He was using this magazine to bring across some great thoughts, and so in one of the scenes in the cartoon strip, this little girl named Lucy is asking Charlie Brown to help her with her homework, and she says to him, "'And I will be eternally grateful.'" And fair enough, says Charlie Brown. And so he takes a look at what's going on. He says, and he says to her, I've never had anyone be eternally grateful to me before. And then he looks at the problem and he says, well, all you got to do here is subtract four from 10 and then you find out how many apples the farmer has left. And then Lucy flips out. She says, what? That's it? That's it? I have to be eternally grateful for that? You know, (laughs) I, I was robbed. I can't be eternally grateful for this. That was way too easy. You know, Charlie uh, Brown with his blank stare says, well, whatever you think is fair, Lucy. And she says, how about I just say, thanks, bro. On his way outside, Charlie meets Linus and he says, where have you been, Charlie Brown? He says, I've been helping Lucy with her homework. Linus says, I sure hope she appreciated it. Charlie answers, yeah, but at a greatly reduced price. (laughs) So appreciation and gratitude for others reveals something about the person who expresses it. Cicero, the ancient Roman great statesman, once said, gratitude is not only the greatest of virtues, but the parent of all others. And in his book, Private Adam, uh, Shmulek Butich, Jewish writer, says, it would seem that the Bible would agree, probably the most derisive term in the Jewish religion is the word kafutoiv, a term for an ingrate, you know, someone who's not thankful, not appreciative person, he says he's not large enough to, to attribute credit to another party. His world is too small, his ego too brittle. He's imprisoned by a deprivation mentality. For the ingrate, the whole world is a small pie, and his only objective is to get the largest possible piece. In other words, uh, you know, life is just very small, and he wants to make sure he gets as much as he possibly can. To give another person credit, even a small crumb is to infringe upon the already inadequate piece the ingrate has grabbed for himself. The ingrate sees all men and women not as brothers and sisters, but as belligerents, not as companions, but as competitors. He can't give others their due because he isn't convinced that the world is big enough for the two of them. He feels weakened whenever he attributes his success to someone else's influence. His heart is too undersized, his ego too brittle to thank others for what they have contributed to his life. So what is true about giving gratitude to and for others is especially true in our relationship to God. We need to realize how much God has done for us and express our gratitude towards him. Now, I love thanksgiving. You know, it's always an opportunity to reflect and give thanks to God for all that he has done. And how many realize that ingratitude, the opposite of gratitude, is one of the foundational sins that a Christian can enter into? Actually, I would say that the moment you and I stop being thankful, we've taken a step away from God. And I can show that to you from the scriptures. Actually, this is a core issue. As Paul writing in the book of Romans chapter one and verse 21, he says, for although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. You see, we've moved away from God when you do that. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. And although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. Now we celebrate annually a time called Thanksgiving. But I want us to turn to the words of the ancient psalmist who's calling us to do more than just give thanksgiving. As a matter of fact, I've entitled the sermon An Expression. That is greater than thanksgiving i 'm going to show you something it was kind of an awakening for me I, I, I'd read this before, but you know you ever, you ever run into a truth and you, you know you 've seen it, you've said it, but it didn't really register. How many of you ever had that experience? Things just went right on by. Well, this hit me this week, big time, and you know it was like an epiphany. It was like an awakening in my soul and i 'm praying this morning that it'll awaken something inside of you as well. So, Klaus Westermann, who is a German theologian, he, he's trying to explain the difference between modern gratitude and biblical praise. So, the word I'm going to say is simply this that praise is an expression that's greater than thanksgiving. Praise. Now, we, we could sit down and look at a whole bunch of Psalms, and we're going to look at a Psalm in a minute, Psalm 66. And we're going to look at so many of the Psalms, they just start saying, Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, bless the Lord. And I want to focus in on that idea. He says, but our word, thank, which has no corresponding word in the language of the Psalms. Now, I got to stop here and explain what he's talking about. And I, you know, I had to look it up. You know, it was hard for me to just realize because when we're reading our English translation of the Hebrew language, we see words like thanks and thanksgiving. But he was right. I started looking it up in the Hebrew lexicon and discovered that what is happening is it's another word and it's generally translated praise. But sometimes our English translators translated thanks. And the reason being is because they're expressing gratitude, but they're directing it towards God and it's actually a praise. And so he says here the Hebrew word often translated as thanks means praise or confess uh, or to confess praise. He goes on to say the difference between these Two types of psalms of praise is easy to understand and recognize. Narrative or confessing psalm praise is an echo of a specific act of God which has just taken taken place. So when God has done something, what, you know, sometimes we'll say to somebody, you did that for me, we say thank you, right? But how many know when you say thank you, it's a lot different than when you start praising the person for what they've done for you? And this is what Westerman is going to bring out to us. He says, it is the liberated, rejoicing sigh of relief by a person who is rescued, who now says, thank God for the rescue. Its basic structure is always God is active. In other words, there's a focus on the fact that God has done something special and it's created something inside of us. And a, a, a deep appreciation and gratitude that's overwhelming, but it moves beyond us just saying, thank you. It's more like, I praise you. I praise you for what you did. The focus shifts. And and this is the part uh, we need to understand. He says, the concept of thanks as we use it actually is not a natural one. Uh, He says, praise is more spontaneous and genuine. And then he states, praise makes the object the subject of the sentence. What What does he mean? He's saying, when we say thanks, the speaker is the subject. It's coming from us. So praise involves looking away from oneself. See, praise is a lavish description of that which is spontaneously enjoys, whereas thanks can be a fixed duty. In other words, we're just being polite. Thanks. But when you praise, something far more dynamic is happening. That's what he's trying to communicate to us. He says praise involves a genuine appreciation, and it's public, whereas thanks can be private or silent. Praise then is encouraging and edifying to others. Praise, as he's going to say a little later on, is focused on the other. That's what we're talking about. While thanks many times can be superficial, you know, it's just like, thank you. It's, you know, like, yeah, I, I recognize you did something, thanks. But it's, it's really coming from ourselves. But when you praise someone, when you praise the other person, your focus isn't on yourself, it's on the other person, you see what I'm getting at? And so a lot of times in life, you know, what we need to do is move beyond just thanking God to begin to praise God, to move from the focus being on ourselves to the focus actually being on God. And when you and I focus on God, we're gonna find out something dynamic begins to happen. So uh, Marvin Tate says, praise requires concentration, on the thing, person, or deity being praised. Thanks tends to be focused on what the speaker has received. Oh, thank you for that bike. You know, thank you for this. Thank you for that. And he says, and thus may become rather narrow and very perfunctory or it, 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 it's just superficial. It can be, yeah, thanks. No big thing, you know, but that's not true of praise. Praise is focused beyond. So let's take a look at Psalm 66. Here the psalmist is calling the community, you know, I always love when people say, oh, I don't really, I, I, can, I, I believe in God, but I don't need church. Listen, he's calling the community to praise God collectively. Something happens when we do this together. I can tell you this morning, there was just, six of us in a room and four in a, on a zoom call and there was 10 of us and I could tell you the 10 of us were praising God and the power and the presence of God was filling my soul in a way that I can't do that by myself there's something that happens when a whole bunch of people are on the same page praising God the sense of God's power and presence fills us at a level you'll never experience in a solitary moment by yourself it won't happen that way they needed to publicly express something even deeper than gratitude because God's faithfulness had done something recent. There was a moment of crisis, something had happened. They don't, you know, I love the psalmist, sometimes they don't tell you because it then fits to many occasions and it's done intentionally so that you and I can embrace, you know, whatever God's done for us that we can begin to praise him. We hear this collective community of faith rejoicing, but we also hear the personal testimony of the individual. Derek Kidner says, on the large scale, the the church uh, bears witness primarily to the once and for all acts of God and calls men to his kingdom, while at a personal level, the individual adds a testimony to God's continuing and ultimate care. So let's take a look at three reasons why we need to praise our awesome God. And the first one is that God does amazing things. He does powerful deeds in the earth. Isn't that amazing? You know, I I think about all the things God does. You know, sometimes, you know, we have a hard time believing God can do something, but we gotta stop doing that. You know, think about the power of God. When God wills to do something, there's nothing that can stop it. No human rebellion can even impede what God's about to do. God's gonna complete what he promises to humanity. And when we consider all that God has done for us, all we can do is praise him. He's worthy of our gratitude. The more we know him, the more our hearts overflow with praise and thanksgivings toward him. One of the reasons I don't think we praise God that much is we really haven't got to know him very well. The more I get to know him, the more I adore him. The more I rejoice in him. The more I delight in him. The more I want to know him. The more I want to get close to him. The more I want to praise him, you know, Here's an explanation of why. Verse one, shout for joy to God, all the earth. God is literally, the psalmist is calling the entire world to praise him. You know, one day this is gonna happen. It's gonna happen, folks. You know, sing the glory of his name. Make his praise glorious. You know, I'm thinking about this morning as we're worshiping God and we're praising him. Let's make his praise glorious. Were you praising him with your entire being this morning? Or would you just go trudging into church another Sunday? I'm just going through the routine, you know? I want to awaken something inside of you today. Do you get a sense of that? I'm trying to call us to praise because the psalmist is doing it. Say to God, how awesome are your deeds? So great is your power that your enemies cringe before you. All the earth bows down to you. They sing praise to you. They sing praise to your name. Well, you know, how many know David? We don't know who wrote the psalm. I was reading something a little, you know, some people feel like David actually was a collector of a lot of the songs that people sang. He was just kind of compiling them. Who knows? But here's the point. David knew what it was to praise God. We all can say amen to that. As a matter of fact, when David became the king, the first thing he was concerned about was that the Ark of the Covenant would be brought to his capital city, Jerusalem. And David went about doing that. And then we, we find, he finally figured it out. He tried once and it was a failure and somebody lost their life. And so David got discouraged, but then again, he tried again. He wanted to do this right. And here we read in 2 Samuel, it says, wearing a linen ephod, David was dancing before the Lord with all his might. I I would say he was an enthusiastic worshiper. How many say that's true? You only get a sense? I'm not advocating for excessive emotionalism here, but sometimes as Canadians, we're pretty stodgy in church, you know, but when we get to a sporting event, we get a little more rambunctious. What's with that? Just a thought. Why do we do that? I mean, this is far more glorious and more exciting. Then it says here, While he and all Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouts and the sounds of trumpets, and as the ark was entering the city of David, Michael, daughter of Saul, watched from a window. When she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in her heart. When David returned home to bless his household, Michael, daughter of Saul, came out to meet him and said how the king of Israel has distinguished himself today, going around half naked in full view of the slave girls of his servants as any vulgar fellow would. Well, a couple things here stand out to me. First of all, Michael is called the daughter of Saul rather than the wife of David. And I wonder if the writer did that on purpose to tell us that her attitude was more similar. She was truly Saul's daughter rather than, you know, someone who had an affinity with David's heart. What do you think? I think so. I don't think she was a worshiper. When she saw David worshiping, she just did not connect with it. You know, as a matter of fact, she probably thought he should have come in with his royal robes. David was humbling himself before Almighty God because he recognized God as the king. And he was just the earthly vice regent of the true king of kings. I think there's something to be said for that. And secondly, she now criticizes her husband as he's worshiping the Lord. And then you notice David's response when he's confronted by his extravagant worship before God. He says to her, I could even become more undignified than this, and I will be humiliated in my own eyes. In other words, it's got nothing to do with dignity, you know? It's all to do with, you know, extolling and worshiping and delighting in the Lord. What a great attitude. Uh, Alan Ross points out in both the Old Testament and the New Testament, believers are commanded to offer unto God the sacrifice of praise. You ever thought about that? A sacrifice of praise. That tells me uh, sometimes we may not feel it. You know, Sometimes we go, I, I only do what I'm emotionally driven to do. How many know that's not always the best response in life? Your feelings should not be defining your life. Your feelings should be responding. It doesn't mean we're living in denial here. I think we all take readings. Yeah, this is how I feel. But then in obedience, do what God's asking me to do. If God says, I will bless the Lord at all times, that says that regardless of how I feel, I will bless him. See what I'm getting at? And when we begin to do what God's commanding us to do, we make a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of our lips giving thanks. What happens is spirit of God comes upon us and all of a sudden our emotions catch up to what we're doing. I always love it when my emotions finally, you know, maybe they're out of whack. How many of you ever had moments where your emotions are doing one thing and going, what's wrong with you? And and then you start worshiping God and then your emotions get back in the line. You go, yeah, that's way better. I'm starting to feel more myself again. I think there's something to be said about not allowing our emotions to define how we're gonna worship God. That's all I'm saying. The fact that it's commanded means it's a binding responsibility and the fact that it's called a sacrifice means that it's a form of worship, an offering to be given to God. In Israel, believers were duty-bound duty bound to praise the Lord, and it always cost them to do so, but praise in the biblical sense of the term has fallen on hard times. Hmm, what's he mean by that? Well, he simply says, too often it's ignored completely, both in the assembly and in the daily life of the believer, simply being replaced by music. Now, I love music, but that's not praise and worship. It's just music, Okay? You know, and frequently it degenerates into a forced duty or a boasting in which the self is exalted. That's not what we want. Um, It goes on to say here, most true believers would say that they are genuinely thankful for all that the Lord has done for them, but genuine individual praise in the congregation is rarely a part of their experience. Well, that's a very challenging statement by this uh, biblical theologian. He's basically saying, guys... When we gather together, we should be coming ready to praise God. We should actually be preparing our hearts before we come so we can worship God with all of our hearts. You know, we don't drag ourselves in here and then drag yourself out and say, well, I did my duty. I went to church today. No, I think we come to worship God collectively. We begin to praise him. And something happens when we do that. And I'm going to show you what's going about to happen. Well, in this psalm, we're told that we're to shout and sing with joy to the Lord. Why? Because God's deeds are awesome. How many are thankful that God saved us? How many are extremely grateful that Jesus laid down his life on a cruel cross and rose again from the dead so you and I can have freedom from sin and experience a new life, an eternal life, a resurrected life, a powerful life that even overcomes addictions? We should be praising him for that you know come and see what the lord what god has done how awesome his deeds are for mankind he turned the sea into dry land he they passed through the waters on foot come let us rejoice in him so he doesn't talk here about his creative acts He's now referring us to a redemptive act. He's talking to the nation about the place when they became a nation. Do you realize that's when they became a nation? When they came out of Egypt and they crossed the Red Sea into a new land. They were now experiencing a momentous moment in their life. That's why the Jewish people celebrate the Passover. It's because now they've become a nation and they're walking in the promises of Almighty God. And when you and I actually... uh, Experience Christ because I love what Paul says. You say, Well, how does this apply to us as New Testament believers this Passover moment? Well, Paul says, for Christ, our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. Paul is bringing us back and saying, we too are God's people. We too have a Passover experience. We too have been delivered from the judgment of sin over our lives. We too have been brought into God's promises. You know, you and I now are inheritors of all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. We don't come into a earthly land, but we come into God's promised blessings for our lives. We too need to rejoice and delight in what God has done for us, his great saving act in our lives. And then, you know, as I was saying, thinking to myself, without the cross, without the resurrection, we'd still be in a sense. That's why we do the Lord's table. It's a reminder of what has happened. This is our, in a sense, well, it is. It's our Passover. We're celebrating that moment. We just did that few moments ago. And then in Psalm 103, verses 1 and 2, we're called to praise, to bless the Lord. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and for all that is within me, and not to forget his benefits. Okay, I got I to tell you, this is so amazing to me because, you know, a lot of times we forget. You say, what do you mean we forget? Again, I'm going to quote Klaus Westerman. He's writing... He said, when you're living in an an age like ours, do you realize that you and I cannot absorb all that's coming at us? How many say that's true? And so we purposely are just picking what we want and we're forgetting. Things are moving past us all the time, right? And we're forgetting. And you and I have to decide what we're going to remember and what we're going to forget. But one of the things we tend to do is forget what God's done for us. Why do we do that? Well, it says this, Coordination of bless and forget-nots expresses a very profound truth. Not only those who praise do not forget. That's an important line. Only those who praise do not forget. One may indeed speak about God and still have forgotten him a long time ago. I'm going to share a shocking thing. And I've studied in seminary. I've I've done 21 years of postgraduate studies. And most scholars are not conservative. A lot of them are liberals. They talk about God, but they don't know God. They forgot about Him a long time ago. It's tragic. You know, one may reflect upon the nature of God and still have long since forgotten Him. Forgetting God and turning away from God has always begins when praise has been silenced. I want to ask a question now: Has praise been silenced in your life? Are you praising God? I want you to think of Paul and Silas. They were praising God and they were connected to God. We're going to talk about how that changes the way you're going to see life. People who praise God have a different vantage point, it's a transformed vantage point. <clears throat> the secret of praise, <clears throat> excuse me, is its power to make connection with God. Through praise, one remains with God. That's that's the point of the sermon. This is the expression that's greater than thanksgiving. It's praise. It keeps you in God's presence. You're now connected with God. In the presence of God, you know, like it says, uh, when, when Israel was praising God, God says he inhabited the praises of Israel. He inhabited the praises. He lives in our praise. That's how you and I connect with him. Praise. Think of the Lord's prayer. Hallowed be your name. What's he talking about? Praising the name of God? Well, let's move on to the second reason. Now this is a song I decided to um, Second reason for his preservation is, is for his preservation in times of testing. How many realize in this life there's disappointment? Anybody here ever been disappointed? Anybody here have terrible things happen? difficulties, frustrations, losses? I mean, we just go down the list, right? Challenges, trials. How many recognize that? Well, we can pretend they don't exist. We can live in denial. Some people try to do that. But here the psalmist gives another reason for praising God God preserves and sustains us in the darkest hour of trial and testing. Look at verse 8. Praise our God, all peoples. Let the sound of his praise be heard. For you, God, tested us. For you, God, tested us. No, who's bringing us into the test? God is. For you, God, tested us. You refined us like silver. God is the one who allows the test to come into our lives. For you, God, uh, uh, you brought us into prison and you laid burdens on our backs. That doesn't sound, hey, did God not lead Joseph into prison in the Old Testament and laid burdens on his backs? Of course he did. You let men ride over our heads. How many have ever been a Christian and all of a sudden you've had a boss that was nasty? Somebody riding over your head? You know? Anybody have that experience? Yeah. We went through fire and water, but you brought us to a place of abundance. So God says, I want you to use these things to bring you somewhere. You know, the great British preacher Charles Spurgeon wrote, all saints must go to the proving house. In other words, God's gonna test you. God had one son without sin, but he never had a son or daughter without a trial. Why should we complain if we're subject to the rule which is common to all the family and which so much benefit has flowed to them? What's he saying? Spurgeon is saying God's going to allow you to be tested. God's going to allow you to be tried. God's going to allow testings to come into your life. Why does he do that? He's refining you. He's bringing you to another place. Listen. You know, I've been a Christian now almost five decades, and I'm gonna tell you something. The greatest lessons I've learned in life have been in the hard times. How many say that's true, Pastor? That's been my experience. I've learned a lot in those. You know, at the time, you, know, you think you're learning nothing. At the time, you're wondering if you can even keep going with God. You're struggling, you're falling, you're bumping along, but you know something? When you come out of that hour, all of a sudden you look back and you say, oh my goodness, I'm a different person. I'm stronger. I understand, I get it now. You know, this is a quote I love by David Osborne. He says, too often we try to use God to change our circumstances while he's using our circumstances to change us. I would take a picture of that one. Isn't that true? You know, we're praying, God deliver me. And God goes, I am. I'm trying to deliver the junk in your life that needs to come out. It's an interesting way of looking at it, but I think there's a lot of truth there. As a matter of fact, we could, I talked about this last week, how God disciplines our lives. Listen, endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? They discipline us for a while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good that we may share in what? His holiness, God has a goal in our life. To be holy means to be like God, to be other than, to be separate from what we once were, to be separated from our sin, to be more like God. God is designing these things in our lives to bring us to himself so that we would be unlike what we were because, you know, a lot of people say, oh, we just got to accept each other the way we are. Friends, you and I are steeped in sin. We need to be delivered from what we were so that we could become what God designed for us to become. We need to become like him. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Here in our text, the writer gives us powerful reasons for praise and thanksgiving. It's that God preserves our lives. He keeps us from slipping. We're kept by His power. That's why we pray. Lead us not into temptation and deliver us from the evil one. And even maybe this psalm that Peter's thinking about when he's writing to uh, in his first letter he says who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation is ready to be revealed in the last times and in all of this you greatly rejoice though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials listen nobody likes trials none of us do you know I want to learn as much as I can and get through as fast as I can. But sometimes God goes, yeah, but the point is I'm teaching you patience or I'm teaching you endurance or I'm teaching you long-suffering, right? He leaves us in these things for a season, but let's not lose heart. Let's continue to praise him. Let's continue to worship him. He says, these have come so that you're proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire may prove genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. In other words, God is refining us and that we'll come out of these experiences truer, stronger, more committed than we ever have before. You know what? This life is, is, is fading. It's perishing. You know, if you're living for this world, you'll be deeply disappointed. I can tell you that right now. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your soul. We not only praise him for the work he does in our lives through the storms, challenges, and difficulties. It's the process that enables us to become more godly, more patient, more caring person. I love what Helen Keller says. Character cannot be developed in ease and quiet. Only through the experience of trial and suffering can the soul be strengthened, vision cleared, ambition inspired, and success achieved. But not only do we praise God, our awesome God for his provisions, he saves us. As well as shielding us and keeping us, but we also praise him for personal answers to prayer. Do you know it's incredible to think that God responds to you and me in a personal way? Who am I, oh God, that you're mindful of me? we got over 7 billion people on the planet and you're listening to me. Does that ever blow your mind every once in a while to think that God's listening to you and me? Who are we? You know, David was overwhelmed by that thought. Derek Kidner says, the final word of gratitude is not only for the answer to prayer but for the reality that this answer reflects an unbroken relationship to God. He hears me and he answers me. Don't you think that's beautiful? God heard my cry. He says, I will come to your temple with burnt offerings and fulfill my vows to you. Vows my lips promised and my mouth spoke when I was in trouble. You ever have this moment? Say, God, if you'll get me out of this, I'll do this. <laughs> Negotiating. That's what it's called. He says, I will sacrifice fat animals to you in an offering of rams. I will offer bulls and goats. Well, we don't do that today. Jesus is the ultimate sacrifice. What do we do? We offer our bodies. We offer our minds. We offer our lives. We offer our time. This is what we offer. The fruit of our lips. We give thanks. He says, come and listen, you, all you who fear God. Let me tell you what he's done for me. I want to stop there. You know, I made a decision. I was looking at this text and I said, you know what? Tuesday nights we have prayer. But I'm going to start having you guys, when you come, share testimony. I want to hear how you became a believer. I want to hear how God is answering your prayers. Why do I want to hear it? Because I think we all need to hear how God is working in our lives. Amen? Amen. Come and listen, all you who fear God. Let me tell you what he's done for me. Do you think it's a good thing to share what God's doing for you? I think it's a great thing. I cried out to him with my mouth, and his praise was on my tongue. Now, if I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. But God has surely listened and heard my voice in prayer. Praise be to God who has not rejected my prayer or withheld his love. That's that Hebrew word has said that covenant love from me. Here we find this personal response to worship and praise to God for answered prayer. Think of all the times you've cried out to Him and He's answered. I've, I, I, I you know, if you've been a Christian a long time, I can tell you, and you pray, God has answered so many prayers. He's answered so. I have prayed for so many people in this church. I've prayed for years for people. I've seen God answer in marvelous ways. I am amazed at how God has answered beyond what I could have ever ask or even hope for. Seasons of distress, times of misfortune, moments of reversal. Here the enemy has attacked the work of God, and then the work keeps progressing. He becomes personal. Sometimes he attacks the leader. You know, if you can't get the work to stop, let's take out the leader. You know, I, I, I've sensed that in my life. What sustains us in our walk with God? Our personal cry to God. Lord, every day I get up. My first thoughts are to you. I cry out to you in the morning. In the morning, do I lift up my voice to you. I pray to you. I praise you. I, I rejoice in you. I worship you. You know, and then he goes on here and he's, Psalmist says, the only thing that can impede prayer is if I begin to cherish sin in my heart. And it says here, what does it mean to Cherish. It's the idea of delighting or gloating in sin. Sin is always an impediment, not only in my relationship to God, but my relationship to my, my fellow people, the people around me, you know? And God will not allow that kind of arrogance to grow in our lives. He's not gonna respond to us in those times. He's gonna say, deal with that junk in your life. You know, maybe some of us in this room, you know, there's things in our life, God says, I want you to just confess it. You say, well, yeah, but I struggle with that. I'm kind of addicted to this thing. I have a secret delight in it. I'm saying, here's how you should pray. Lord, give me a hatred toward what I currently love and create within me a longing for what is righteous. Help me to begin to do the very opposite of the very thing I'm craving for. And guess what God will do? There's a power inside of a believer that's greater than their sin. It's called the power of God. You have a new nature now. Don't, Don't give in to that old sinful nature. It's only gonna tear you apart. It's gonna take you down. It's gonna lead you into bondage. Just confess it and say, Lord, I wanna forsake it. I love that about god he 's so faithful. I love what Gerald Wilson says in conclusion to this uh, the psalm, and in light of what we 've been studying in Jeremiah going into exile, this is what he said: God is in decisive control over the world and delivers those who adopt the proper attitude of repentance of sin, which we just talked about israel 's loss of national identity and independence in the exile is to be understood, not as a criticism of god 's power in other words. It wasn't because God's so weak that the Babylonians conquered him, but as a divine testing of the faithful, which ultimately led to an abundant life. God used it to discipline them. God used it to change them. God used it to empower them. God brought them back to their land. Isn't that an amazing story? How many times has God done that for the nation of Israel? It's amazing. Come, let us praise our Father. Let us worship him with all of our being every time we gather. You know, here's my prayer, that praise would move us from self-focus towards God in a very profound way. It should change us. I'm going to close with a story. We all know the story. It's very familiar to us if we're Bible readers. It's the story of David and Goliath. Don't you love that story? Let me just say something about it. What made David different than all the other soldiers? I mean, he wasn't even a soldier. What was it? that you know when 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 david was able to address the giant when his entire nation's military was trembling in fear was intimidated was paralyzed by the taunts and threats of the giant you know what they saw themselves they saw the giant and they saw themselves they saw their weakness they saw their inabilities isn't that true do you know what i sense in a lot of christians lives we're looking at ourselves We look at ourselves and we say, look how broken I am. Look how weak I am. Look how I can't do this. Look at, they're looking at themselves. Okay? And then a trial comes along. A giant comes into our lives and then we're just paralyzed. We can't do a thing about it and we feel like we're standing on a mountain for 40 days doing zero. Anybody relate to this? Are we hearing what I'm saying? How does David approach the situation? David comes on the scene. David, Apparently wasn't looking at himself. Do you know what I think David was doing? He had been worshiping God. He was a psalmist. He was singing praises to God. He was connected to God. And all he could hear from the mouth of this giant was that he was defying God. And so, who did he see as Goliath's enemy was not the nation of Israel. Who he saw as the enemy was actually God himself. And he knew that God was greater than any giant. And because David wasn't looking at himself, but was looking to God and saw that the trial and the giants and the challenge and the difficulties was nothing, God could use any instrumentality to bring down this ungodly, defying person. And so when David ran up to him, he says, you come to me with sword and spear and shield, but I come to you if somebody said, yeah, it was slingshot. No, he came to him in the name of the Lord Most High. And when you and I take our eyes off ourselves and begin to praise God and connect with Almighty God, we will take the eyes off of ourselves and begin to see Almighty God, and there's nothing too great for God. Let's stand this morning. Let's stand this morning, and let's just... You know, I, I just want to sing a song of praise because I'm actually, am I early? Wow, I'm early. Woo! Amazing. Let's sing a chorus, this, one of the ones we just sang here this morning on praise. Okay, let's do it. ha, <laughs> ha. I I feel like, you know, the only way to end this service is if we praise him. How many say amen, pastor? How many say, I want to praise him this morning? I want to praise him this morning. I want to praise him this morning. Are we ready? No, the second one we sang. Yeah, we're thanking God. This never
1: happened before.
0: I'm I'm putting her on the spot. This is my daughter, though. I've done it before. I can take it. (laughs) Okay. Praise God. Let's put the words up. The second song. Thanks, Victoria.
1: Come all you weary. Come all, all you, you thirsty, thirsty. Come to the well that now
0: to church this morning? Amen? Have you been to church this morning? Are you praising God this morning? Did you connect with God this morning? Well, God bless you. Have an awesome week.